right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. MLB playoffs were, I guess, last night continuing on into today. What a wild card game that was between the Cardinals and the Dodgers. We had the Red Sox beat the Yankees in kind of a ho-hum game on Tuesday night. Last night, Cardinals led early. Dodgers tie it in a middle inning, and then they hit the two-run walk-off home run by Chris Taylor in the bottom of the ninth inning to advance on. And, you know, I, I am a Giants fan. I'm scared to play the Dodgers. I mean, you have a 106-win team who you're playing in the divisional round that is not fun, but the Cardinals almost did it last night, and they were as hot as it could get. But what's funny is the Dodgers, like both teams, all of the talk was the Cardinals are this hot, they won 17 straight games or whatever. Um, both teams had just three losses in the final month of the regular season. So the Dodgers were just as hot as the Cardinals, it's just that was the Dodgers all year long. So it wasn't as you know, big of a surprise or it wasn't something that felt like was coming on at the last minute. Uh, I, I have a hard time seeing the Dodgers losing at any point now, though, on a way to win a second straight World Series. And for them, I'm sure there's motivation to, you know, you have some people saying, oh, well, last year it's an asterisk World Series. It was a shortened season. And I would counter with that, first of all, that everybody had the same exact path. And if anybody's team won the World Series, they would have been celebrating it as the World Series, so don't throw stones at a glass house, but also you had, I think Tampa Bay had the best record in the AL, LA had the best record in the NL a season ago, and they met in the World Series, you know? Is that like not vindication that it was okay, that it worked out? Uh, but I'm sure they've been hearing that, and they want to kind of vindicate it with a title this year, and they are even better this year than they were last year. I mean, watching that Dodgers team, this is... I don't know. I don't want to be like hyperbolic, but just a collection of talent. This might be the greatest baseball team I've ever seen in my lifetime. Now, I'm not going to speak on something that happened in, you know, 1970 or the Yankees teams or like Babe Ruth and in the 1920s. Just in my lifetime, I can't remember another team that because think about it. You have Max Scherzer starting in that game. Like Max Scherzer, multiple-time or Cy Young winner, he's going to go in the Hall of Fame. And you could argue he's not even the best pitcher. Walker Buehler might win the Cy Young this year. Julio Urias is going to get probably top three, top five Cy Young votes. He'll finish in the top five, six, or seven. He has 20 wins this year of the MLB. Clayton Kershaw is probably out for the postseason, but he's an all-star. That was your number four. It is insane. That's just the rotation. This isn't a situation where it's, you know, the 2010 Giants where you have a bunch of stud pitchers and you just scrape together whatever you can't hitting. Or the Brewers this season are kind of like that where they're a league average offense, but you have 
Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta that is the best probably one, two, three in the MLB. But you could argue the Dodgers have a better one, two, three. At the very least, it's comparable. And then the difference is instead of the Brewers' league average offense, the Dodgers last night were hitting Cody Bellinger eighth. And Cody Bellinger had a bad season, but that means the Dodgers are batting the MVP from two seasons ago. He is batting eighth in that lineup. That is incredible. And Cody Bellinger ended up getting two walks, two steals. What do you know? MVP from two years ago, hitting eighth, had a good game. This is an unbelievable collection of talent, and I kind of have a hard time seeing the Dodgers not being the team to win the World Series. Last night was really the one time where I said to myself, this is 50, and it is. Once you get to a one-game playoff, you know, anything can happen because as great as the Dodgers are, they still lose games. So in a one-game playoff, Adam Wainwright goes out there and shoves, which he was good, but he wasn't as, you know, didn't get in as deep of the game. Dodgers worked the counts, and the Cardinals, the biggest reason was they couldn't hit with runners in scoring position. I think they went 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position last night. But, you know, all it takes is one big swing, one dominant pitcher outing, and you're done in a one-game playoff. So I thought last night would really be the exception. And I was waiting to say this till today because I wanted to see what would happen last night in the more random sample. And now that it's, you know, a little more longevity in the series, I'm not really seeing any way this Dodgers team doesn't win the World Series this year, which is pretty crazy. Normally, I... And I don't want to oversell it because baseball playoffs still, it is a small sample compared to the regular season, but they're hot right now. They have depth throughout the lineup. The pitching is there. Kenley Jansen gets, you know, beat up by Dodgers fans all season long every year because there are a couple saves he blows that he shouldn't, but overall he still has really good numbers and he comes through in the clutch every year. It's it's just an incredible group. And uh, the playoffs, yeah, going on today, Astros, White Sox, and uh, – Red Sox Rays are the night game tonight. Tomorrow we get the NL along with the AL. So uh, postseason baseball. I love postseason baseball. I'll say this real quick. Like, I think March Madness is probably the most fun postseason sporting event. Number two for me would probably be the MLB playoffs. I mean, especially when your team is in it. Maybe there's a distinction there. Because when your team's not in it, baseball has become such a regionalized sport with so many games. It's hard to keep up with every single team. So when your team's not in it, it, it falls to the wayside a little bit more. When your team is in it, I would argue the MLB playoffs are maybe the most nerve-wracking of all the playoffs to root for your team on. Like, every pitch feels like you're going to have a heart attack because it's like, oh, no, is this pitch going to get hit out for a home run? Or is this pitch uh, a pitch that we're going to hit for a home run? It's it's fantastic to watch. So uh, looking forward to the MLB playoffs over the course of the next few weeks. The Chiefs take on the Buffalo Bills on Sunday Night Football. If the Chiefs lose this game, they obviously drop the two and three. And, you know, it won't be the end of the world. People will still be pretty. Like, the Chiefs are still favored to win the AFC West right now. I think the Chiefs are still the favorites to win the AFC. If they lose this game, that changes. I don't know about the AFC West, but definitely I would assume the Bills would become the favorite. And I still don't know where I sit on, because right now I view the Bills and the Chargers as the teams to beat in the AFC until the Chiefs show you a little more defensively. If the Chiefs can improve defensively, if the Chiefs win this game, then I would put them back in that discussion. But until that happens, uh, it kind of remains to be seen. But if the Bills win this game, you can kiss the bye goodbye if you're the Chiefs. At that point, through just five weeks of the season, you can kiss it but goodbye. Because 
if the Chiefs lose to the Bills, you'd be sitting on three losses, which means best case scenario, even if you won out the rest of the way, you'd be 14-3. and three. But what are the likelihoods that you are going to win out if you lose this game? With that defense, probably not great. So if you lose this game, I don't know, realistic view of what they could go, 11-6, and 10-7. You get hot, you could go 12-5. and five. You get really hot, you go 13-4. and four. That would be you only losing one game the rest of the way to get to 13-4. and four. And 13-4 and four might put you in discussion to get the one seed, but it's probably going to come down to tiebreakers. And you lose to the Bills, now they have the tiebreaker. Now the Bills don't suffer a loss. So this game becomes very important because there's only a one bye week now for the one seed. And... You would like to have that if you're the Chiefs. You win this game, you're right back in the thick of things. You're only a game behind the Bills. You're sticking around with the division, and you have the head-to-head over the Bills at that point. Actually, no, I think they'd both be 3-2. and two. And that's probably your other biggest competition. But you lose this game, bye week, not even a discussion. Doesn't mean you can't make the Super Bowl. Doesn't mean you can't accomplish everything you want to. Just makes the path a little bit tougher. And with a longer season this year, I would imagine getting that bye week at the end of the year is going to be even more important than it has been in years past, even though it's just one team doing that now. I, I've been seeing a lot of stuff on Josh Gordon coming from Chiefs players like Travis Kelsey on the Rich Eisen, Eisen show talked about how impressive he's been, how athletic he looks. He's fast. He's crisp running routes and how you know he came in in shape, ready to go as if he'd been working out ready for this to happen. Apparently, Patrick Mahomes and him have developed quite a good bond on the field in terms of their connection with each other there. And I don't know, this could be overblown because it's been just a couple weeks of practice at this point. But if if that ends up being a fruitful pickup, because the way I'm viewing it right now is kind of similar to the Chiefs going out and picking up LaShawn McCoy or Le'Veon Bell or Terrell Suggs, you know, guys you picked up who... They're going to rotate in. They're going to play a little bit. They might have a play here or there that helps you win a game. But they're not going to overhaul what happens over the course of the season. Right? Like, there might be one play that they make in one game where it's like, yeah, he had to make that play for them to win. But overall, I'm not viewing it as the same as, you know, in terms of importance, guys like Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey down the list. And I'm viewing it as, you know, can you just be a productive receiver too, where instead of there being a rotation, instead of you not having that trust with a guy like McCole Hardman or Demarcus Robinson, where one game, maybe you'll get three catches, the next game you get one. Josh Gordon being a consistent threat out there and being a guy who can get you three, four catches a game, being a guy who... When Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey have all the attention on them, can you win in single coverage? Can you do what Patrick Mahomes is expecting you to do on a route or breaking off your route and moving it when he's on the run out of the pocket? And hearing those stories that they have that chemistry, like I said, it could be overblown. But if it's true, that's a big win for the Chiefs offense. And Josh Gordon can do some things that the Chiefs currently can't. Like with Tyreek Hill, we were talking a little about this yesterday. With Tyreek Hill, you're a speedster and get the ball in your hands in open field, hit him downfield, sometimes just throw it up downfield and he'll go make a play on the ball. And and Tyreek Hill, for being a small guy, is good at, you know, winning jump balls. But 
it's jump balls in like throw it up situations. It's not winning jump balls on like fade routes in the end zone. That's the type of play that Josh Gordon has the ability to do, right? You don't really do that with Travis Kelsey. He's more of a route technician and a speedy tight end who has a big body with a wide catch radius for you to throw the ball. But it's not like Travis Kelsey's different than a Tony Gonzalez type where he's just going up over you to catch it, right? And that is kind of the guy that Josh Gordon can bring. That kind of possession, big-bodied receiver who has speed. And that is very similar to what Sammy Watkins brought. And Sammy Watkins, you know, mixed reviews in Kansas City basically because he was hurt. But when Sammy Watkins played, he was a very viable piece for the offense. And the offense was so much better with Sammy Watkins in the game. And it wasn't that often that Sammy Watkins would give you 100 yards or a 200-yard game or a big outburst. But it was a possibility every now and then. Right now, you don't have that possibility with any of the other Chiefs receivers. And I think you might with Josh Gordon, even though there will be games where it's less involved. So I'm not expecting this week to be a big playing week for Josh Gordon. I'm sure he's going to play, but will it be 15 snaps or will it be 40, right? I'm not expecting a huge amount, but I think over the course of the season, he could really impact things for this offense more than I initially thought. Definitely more so than Le'Veon Bell. That didn't really impact the offense at all. Terrell Suggs, I think, more so impacted the defense in the locker room and a veteran leadership perspective. Um... LaShawn McCoy impacted the Chiefs offense early and then he got overtaken by Damian Williams as the season went on and didn't impact things for the final stretch for the Chiefs. But like I said, he did impact things early in the season, at least a little bit, to the most of what you could get from a running back in that offense with the Chiefs. And that is probably what I expect Josh Gordon to do. He's going to have more of an impact than probably any player, any skill player, on the offense outside of Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill. Could argue it with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who might be having a breakout right now, but just in terms of importance, you might be able to plug, you know, if Daryl Williams was getting all the touches instead of Clyde Edwards-Alaire, is it that different from the production you're getting if the offensive line is open up huge holes? Probably not. You know, maybe Clyde gets you a few extra yards here or there, but it's not overly different. I think there's a bigger gap between what Josh Gordon could be, and the Chiefs' current second receiver room, whether it's the rotation of Robinson, Hardman, or Pringle, I think there could be a bigger separation there between Gordon and them than there is between Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Darrell Williams. And for that reason, it's not a lot resting on Josh Gordon, but certainly if you get good production from him and he does look like a viable number two receiver, that's something that you've been missing so far this year. And with a defense that's that bad, you need to score a lot of points, and he's going to help with that. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson. We have Fred Cordelbaum, Coach Q, the Director of Ops for KU Basketball, joining the show in about 25 minutes from right now. Coach Q uh, just wrote a new book, so we'll talk to Coach Q about that, and we'll talk to Coach Q about how that book kind of relates to this year's KU basketball teams and get some past stories from some other KU basketball teams as well. But coming up next, audio from KU football, some press conferences from earlier today. That on the other side, this is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. KLWN KLWN.com, depend on it. Could your business use a little push right now? Need help getting the word out there that you're hiring? Do you just want to let people know how great of a product you have? 
Well, you can advertise with Rock Chalk Sports Talk and or the Best of RCST podcast. For more information, contact djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. Fred Cordelbaum, the director of our ops for the KU Benz basketball team, is going to join us in about 5-10 minutes from right now, talk about his new book and some stories of this current KU basketball team, some stories of the old, some of the older KU basketball teams as well. Uh, real quick, Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the Big Ten, sat down with Eamon Brennan, who writes for The Athletic, and did a Q&A with him. And the last question that Eamon Brennan asked him was how would you describe the state of Big Ten basketball right now and where does Big Ten basketball fit in the league's decisions about its future membership and conference alignment? Obviously a question that would pertain pretty well to the University of Kansas, right? We've heard plenty of rumors and talk about, well, is the is Kansas flirting with the Big Ten? Have there been conversations there? Is the Big Ten is interested? And, you know, we won't totally know those answers until something actually comes out, maybe as... <laughs> early as 2025 when the Big 12 media rights are up. But um, certainly part of the equation, it's not just about Kansas wanting to go to the Big 10. It would be about the Big 10 wanting Kansas, wanting to expand. And we've heard from certain people like Stuart Mandel about how there's no value that certain people are going to bring. And that is a bit of a load because KU, as we've mentioned plenty of times, is top 30 in revenue, even without a good football team right now. And, you know, they bring a big media market and their basketball team gets as many views TV wise as a lot of other football teams. So um, it's a bit of a short sighted thing to just say, well, they would never get in because look how bad the football is. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. And we've mentioned as well that the Big Ten cares about the academics. All the members are AAU certified except for Nebraska, but they were an AAU member when they got in. So KU has that going for them. Well, how much will they value the the basketball side of it? Because that's important. If it is going to be just about a football thing, then yeah, Kansas might ha not have a chance at making the Big Ten. But I would think it does matter, and certainly this answer makes you think just that. Here is uh, the answer from Kevin Warren to that question. Going forward, I think Big Ten basketball is as strong as it's ever been. I think it's the strongest conference in the country. We have the best coaches, the best players. I think we'll have a fantastic season this year and for the next couple of years. As for where it fits in, that was part of the alliance equation one to stabilize college athletics but when we talked about scheduling we're not just going to talk about football scheduling but also basketball scheduling as well as some other olympic sports and also because of the visibility of our student athletes that provides us an opportunity to amplify social justice issues mental health and wellness issues all of which is critically important so he kind of dodges the answer there but he was asked yet another question by somebody else about the same thing and he basically said it matters very much and we are looking into that. So if it is something that's the case of, then obviously Kansas has a very good resume for getting in, right? Um, KU needs not necessarily that to be the only thing that matters. And certainly the Big Ten would tell you there is more that matters. And we'd like to see Kansas, you know raise more funds for around football and the football team have more um, going on. But here was the other question. He's uh, 
was asked, we hear a lot of talk about football and academics from your viewpoint. What do you see the role of basketball when it comes to potential realignment, teams moving here and there? Where old does basketball play? And I'm going to skip the first part because there's not much going on in the first part. But he says, but I think from a basketball standpoint, that is a big component from kind of conference structure realignment standpoint is the importance of college basketball. I think people are going to see that this year. The interest from a fan standpoint. There's a lot of pent-up emotion. People are looking forward to seeing our student-athletes play and our coaches coach. I think what we're going to see this year, because you've seen in football, we've always had passionate fans of college athletics, passionate Big Ten fans. Seems like there's an elevated passion this year. That is one of the things I'm looking forward to, to be able to get back into our arenas. So he says basketball plays an important role. And again, he kind of answers it by sidestepping, but the thesis there is that it is very important, and that would be music to the ears of KU. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Fred Cordell joins us next. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Joined now by a very special guest, Fred Cordell who is the director of ops for KU Basketball. And there's a new book out by Fred Cordell along with Christopher Wirth called The Positivity Tribe in the Locker Room. I guess first things first, Coach, what made you want to get into the book business? What made you want to write a book? Well, well, Derek, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored, and I really appreciate you taking time to to learn more about the story and how the Positivity Tribe in the Locker Room book actually came to fruition. And, and your question, I actually uh, did not have any intention to, uh, to participate in a in becoming an author. However, I did do this forward to the first book that Chris and another uh, friend of ours wrote, and I was really excited. So it kind of tweaked my interest. And then, you know, especially during the pandemic, you wanted to uh, share experiences and how we can continue to, you know, impact the lives of others and impact teams and impact, you know, our community in so many different ways. And obviously being a basketball coach, you know, our mentoring and guidance, you know, each and every day to better serve our student athletes, go on and off the court. So it was a great opportunity to finally, you know, put some things down on paper and to be able to share with so many that believe in the power of positivity. How how would you describe uh, what's in the book? How would you describe what the book is about? I think book goes into depth about leadership. It goes into uh, conversation about culture and teamwork and much, much more. And as we all know, we all face challenges. We all face setbacks. We all face adversity. But it's how you respond, you know, in those moments and how so important it is to understand that we rise by lifting others up. So a lot of that, uh, a lot of those examples are, are throughout the course of the book, and some of these examples actually took place or take place, you know, in our locker room at the University of Kansas. And I, I know you can buy the book on on Amazon. Is is there anywhere else that you can go purchase the book? Amazon is the, probably right now the best place is where it's being uh, sold. So I would go directly to Amazon. I'm sure in the next few weeks there will be other. Uh, avenues to be able to purchase the book. I'm excited about it. I think we had a great turnout with our launch yesterday. And if anyone's looking to add value, not only to themselves, but to be able to spread the importance of positivity and and, and improve your culture, whether it be teams, organizations, businesses, this is definitely 
a, gr- a great read, and I think so many people will get a uh, a great, great message out of this book. Talking with Fred Kortelbaum here, and you mentioned some of those KU stories. So do you have a good example of maybe a specific team at KU or maybe a specific player that kind of exemplified that we being greater than me mentality? I think a lot of our guys, especially our older guys, uh, when they've gone through the Kansas culture, I think every year, year it resonates with each and every one player. Obviously, I use Mitch Lightfoot as, as an example. Mitch has been with us for about is this his twentieth year or nineteenth year as a Kansas basketball player? <laughs> Seems like he's been here such a long, long time. But no, in, in all honesty, Mitch is Mitch is probably one of our our, our great ambassadors. You know, we teamed up with an, a nonprofit organization called Team Impact a few years ago. And Mitch is our team Pat ambassador, and he exclusively works on the front lines of working with a young man, a team impact player uh, called JP. And Mitch is really taking this experience and this opportunity to make it a part of our basketball program. Where Mitch texts uh, JP, he uh, you know is involved with any events that take place on campus. And I, I use Mitch as that example because he, he understands it's much more important uh, than shooting the basketball, making baskets, or winning. There are other parts of our lives that we can leave a legacy, and that's rising by lifting others up, and Mitch is a great example of that. Yeah, I think that that's definitely a good one. Is there is there anybody that comes to mind in who's not currently on the team, maybe a guy who's since graduated and, and gone on to, to other things? Oh, you obviously Devonte definitely comes comes into mind. You know, Devonte is a, a spirited, enthusiastic, you know, uh, energy giver. You know, each and every day. You know, Devonte can walk in the practice court. He can walk in the office. He can walk in a classroom. He can walk into a a leadership meeting, and his vibe, his energy, is it, it just attracts you know, a, a type of attitude that you just want to cultivate, that you want to be around. And, and Devontae is a, is a prime example of someone that brings positivity into the locker room just because of his presence, because of his value, because of his character, because of his integrity, and because of his beliefs. It's bigger than him. And there's no, you know, it's no surprise of the success that Devontae Graham is having uh, as an NBA basketball player. And Devontae, as a matter of fact, he was a uh, uh, one of the endorsers of the book, and I was just extremely grateful that Devontae took time to share, you know, uh, his portion of the importance that we rise by lifting others up, and especially as a professional basketball players. You know, he talks about how culture is so important. And, you know, even in the professional world, those areas of improving – your life happens to cultivate around the people that you associate with each and every day. So Devontae is definitely an ambassador, a positive ambassador of team culture. So is that something you have to you have to teach on a year to year basis with so many new faces every year, especially a year like this year for you guys where we have so many newcomers? Is that something you have to teach? Is that something that's passed down from the veteran guys like a Mitch Lightfoot? How, how does that get passed along in the locker room to have that kind of culture and and that positivity? You know, 
Barry, that's a that's a great question because as we know that word culture is thrown around a lot, but it's those teams or programs or organizations that really drive the culture, and we do that during the summer. We have classes uh, throughout seven weeks while our student athletes are on campus, and we meet for about an hour and talking about our culture and talk about the terminology and the expectations of showing up and being a caretaker and what it means to be aligned uh, and what it means to put others first in honesty. So we, we discuss a lot of our terminology with our team, and during the course of the year, we send out daily uh, reminders about the importance of our culture and not only impacts you, but how it impacts our program, how it impacts how we play, how it impacts how we practice, how, we, how it impacts how we take care of our business each and every day. And this year, Jalen Wilson, David McCormick, Ochai Bazi, and Chris Tehan are our team, cultures and our team culture ambassadors. So we drive our culture each and every day here at the University of Kansas. How would you say that this team so far is doing with building that culture? I think it's been off to a great start. I think the summer has really uh, helped our younger guys. And when you have a group of seasoned veterans like a Mitch Lightfoot, like a Chris Tehan, like a David McCormick, like a Ochai Baji, like a, uh, a CB, and, and more that have been with our program for more than you know two to three years, it really helps our younger guys and understand the importance of team culture, the importance of, you know, honesty and the importance of growth and setting good examples and the importance of what showing up means every single day that you come to work to be fully present, to work and grow. Like this is embedded through coach self that trickles down to our coaches, that trickles down to our players, that trickles down to our managers. So, Everybody has a handprint on improving our culture each and every day. It goes well beyond just the players. He is uh, the director of ops for KU basketball, Fred Kortelbaum. You can get his book on Amazon. It's written with Christopher Worth. It's called The Positivity Tribe in the Locker Room. Coach, thank you so much for the time, and uh, good luck over the course of this season. And uh, can't wait to dig into the book myself. You bet. Thanks so much. You have a fantastic day. All right, that was Fred Kortelbaum, the director of ops at KU. Always love seeing him. He's one of the most positive, one of the most awesome people. You'll see him do the positivity messages on social media as well. Highly recommend going to check out that book. Again, it is called The Positivity Tribe in the Locker Room. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. And we got high school football again on the airwaves tomorrow night with Lawrence High taking on Shawnee Mission South right here on KLWN. Hank Booth, Matt Llewellyn on the call of that one in Lawrence. I'll be out on the call of the Aletha South game that's being played at ODAC at 7 o'clock on 92.9 The Bull and Bull929.com. Matt Llewellyn in with us now in the show. Lawrence High started the season 3-0, and losing the last two. Now the Mill Valley game, obviously you expect big things from Mill Valley every year. Um, and they've got a really good team this year as well. Last week, to Shawnee Mission Northwest, it's an interesting team. We saw Free State uh, beat Shawnee Mission Northwest pretty soundly in week one, but it seems like they've kind of become a better team since then, just looking at their schedule and their results, and they were replacing so much from a season ago. 
Uh, so what happened last week that caused Lawrence High to, to kind of fall to the wayside and, and drop their second straight? Well, I will tell you, I've got about three three things here just on that <laughs> for opening comment. First of all, mm-hmm. tomorrow night, Hank is out. Hank's not going to do it. Oh, that's so right. I'm, I'm sorry. Be, Kevin so, Romery. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going to be with Kevin Romery tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited about that. Uh, Kevin and I have talked a lot this week. The one thing we haven't really talked about is how we're going to work the broadcast. Uh, and I'm mean, assuming... And I'll talk, to, and I want to make sure he's comfortable. Um, but I'm assuming he's going to probably do play by play the whole game, and I'm just going to do color. But we're going to talk about it, and and, and we need to figure it out because <laughs> because obviously it'll be quite a quite a bit different situation than than what I have uh, with Hank every week. So it, it's just it's it's going to be, but it's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited about doing this with Kevin. I've never done done a game with him. I've done it with you. Mm-hmm. Great times with you. Uh, I've done it with Joel. Good times with Joel. Uh, and it's always it's always never ever been an issue. It's always been pretty easy because I've just kind of let you guys go. Yeah. Well, Kevin's uh, a professional. He'll, uh, Kevin is a pro. I'm really looking rolling. forward to that. Mm-hmm. So the Mill Valley game, obviously, yes. Uh, when I walked out of Mill Valley, I I felt really good about it. And I mean, I didn't feel great. I, I didn't feel good. But we we fought. Mm-hmm. We fought till the end, and we had a chance. It's a good to win. team. Yeah. And and so I felt really really good. Um, I didn't feel like we were ready to play, though, at the beginning of the game. And I felt like a couple of the, se- the seniors uh, who really stepped up, uh, Lewis, McKay Lewis stepped up and really had a great game the whole game during Mill Valley, and he did a really good job, and he was ready to play. Uh, I didn't feel that way about a lot of the other players on the, on the field until after halftime. Now, last week, well... As I've talked to several people about, I I didn't see that coming in the least bit. We just flat out got beat. We got we got beat by a better team, and and I look, I think that Shawnee Mission Northwest is going to do a lot of damage now. I I would not be surprised, and I have, actually have no idea what their schedule is, mm-hmm. but I would not be surprised if they go undefeated the rest of the way. They were a really good team, and at Oatis, the kid at running back was his first game that he played. And he was dominant. I mean, he was probably the best kid we've seen all year long uh, as far as a single. And 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 they looked solid. They had – and the way they were setting up their plays, the they just – I just think they had us confused all night long. And, and then – and I and I didn't understand the running back situation. You know, Braden has been a really – Braden Heck has been a really, really good running back for us uh, this year. And my guess is that Braden is going to grow still because he is he, – he's, he's quite a bit shorter than his brothers. And uh, and he is – and if, and if he can – and if he is as beefy when he, when he puts, gets a growth spurt as he is now – and he's, he's not, this is not a, it's not a fat kid. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to imply that, but he is going to be a stud. And, and I just, you know, I understand getting seniors playing time, but Avion gets enough playing time. I mean, Avion, he's, and he, he, he's really good, but he, it was very clear that he had no idea what he was doing. He just didn't know. Uh, he kept on asking Truman. I mean, you could see it from the booth. He didn't know where to go. Um, and so, and, and Avion's a stud, man. I mean, he's a super fast kid, and I understand using him at running back 
certainly at the Wildcat position, because I think that that would be great. It's like, look, Avion, you're going to get the ball. The ball's going to be hiked to you. You follow me, and I'll make the holes for you, and you can figure out where to go from there. But Avion had no idea. He just didn't know. And it was, it was obvious. Braden knows. And look, I'm not a coach. I, I, I say this all the time. I'm not a coach, and I don't like to second-guess the coaches because they certainly know much more than me. Um, but it was very, very clear to me that, that Braden needs to be our number one running back. I, I just, that just, that's just the way it needs to be. I, and I don't know, I, I have no idea what's going on, or, going on at Lawrence High. I don't know why they continued to stay with Avion. That was a, a but it, it, but it wasn't just that we got beat in all facets of the game everywhere. Uh, we really did, and we never, and I wasn't really confident that we were in it after the first series, of, uh, after the first couple series. We, we just got flat out beat. Mm-hmm. So uh, so very concerning. Well, it was, it was interesting to me because you've seen the Lawrence High defense all year long be so good, and they put up 41 points, and, and like I said, I mean, this is Shawnee Mission Northwest team that, you know, early in the year they are probably trying to find their stride. I know last year they had Ty Black at quarterback who – Completed like almost 80% of his passes. Stud quarterback that had a great season last year, but they lost their quarterback, running back, like top three receivers. And then Free State went out and beat them 49 to 21 in the opening game. And then Shawnee Mission Northwest the next week loses to Olathe West and they start 0 2. But the last three weeks, over 50 points, over 50 points, over 40 points. So they might have found their stride here. And I, I wouldn't really view either of Lawrence's losses as bad losses. I think they're both to really good teams. Um, and this week, I think, is a good bounce-back opportunity. You're taking on uh, Shawnee Mission South, the Shawnee Mission South squad that's just one in four, but it's definitely one because they dropped the last two games that probably is a must-win now because right now you're sitting on the eighth seed in uh, the west side of things, and you got to be top eight to host that first round of the playoffs. And on top of that, you want to try to, if possible, get to at least the sixth seed because... Right now, the one or the two seed, it's looking like Manhattan or Derby, and you don't want to have to be facing them in the second round. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I it, it is concerning. But you know what? The middle of the – well, and I guess we're going to face totally new teams in the playoffs mm-hmm. because we're obviously on the western side of the state uh, in for as far as the playoffs go. So we'll be totally different. We won't face any of these teams. But I'll tell you what, there – they're the teams that I'd be scared of right now, Northwest and Olathe West. So Olathe, so that Olathe West, they're coming together. Yeah, they're four and one, and they beat North. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are really. And they beat Shawnee Mission Northwest. Yes. Now that that was an interest. I actually had an opportunity to go to that game, mm-hmm. and and Northwest was. It seemed like they were they were dominating. I think they were ahead. They might have been ahead twenty. They were ahead twenty-one or twenty-eight points wow. going into the going into the third quarter, and and uh, West came back and won, and West won. Uh, Northwest had a chance to win with the, at the with time running out, and they made two goal line stops. Wow, their defense, and so they've got a. They're coming together. I, I'd be worried about West, and, and 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 that's that's really good. That's that's good for that. That that's a. Young school, it's only been around for five years, uh, and I'd, I'd be I'd be worried about them. But them, North, 
uh, Olathe North. Uh, you can't ever discount the Blue Valley schools. I mean, mm-hmm. they're always yeah. Awesome. Blue Valley Northwest is five and zero right now. Which normally they're not as they're more of a basketball school, but this year for whatever reason, I don't know if some of those great basketball athletes went out for football. But um, the fortunate side for Free State and Lawrence High, they don't have to play Olathe West or Blue Valley Northwest. Although Lawrence High does have Olathe North, and that was Free State's lone loss this season. And then a uh, couple weeks, we also got the city showdown coming up with Free State and Lawrence High, which is a game I'll be super interested in. It, it feels like you know over the past couple years you've had kind of a a difference in like last year Lawrence High was so darn good and Free State had a tough season um, we've had years three four years ago where Free State had one of the top teams in the state and maybe Lawrence High had a down year but it feels like this year both these teams are going to be pretty even yeah and 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 I mean at this point with the fact of Free State beating Northwest uh, pretty good and Beating Mill Valley, mm-hmm. you almost have to give the edge to Free State. Yeah, I think you point. would right now. Now, of course, I don't. Right, but uh, <laughs> but you have to kind of be of that mindset, uh, and and we're gonna have to do everything. Well, I mean, look, Olathe South or Shawnee Mission South is not the greatest team in the world. Um, I don't. It's no rocket. No rocket scientist ever. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that one out. So you, you would think that tomorrow night should be pretty easy. Not easy, but you would expect Lawrence High to win. Mm. But those next two games, at this point, you you almost have to say that Lawrence High is, is not going to be favored in either one of those no. games. I think if you, you know, at, at this point, if you can win, if you're Lawrence High, if you, if you can win this Friday, and then you can just win one of the last two. Because at that point, and who knows, 4-4 four and four might be good enough. I mentioned getting the 8 seed where you can host in that first round. Right now the 9 seed is either Wichita East or Topeka High School. Both are two and three. So if you get to four and four, that might be good enough for the eight seed as it is. But if you get to five and three, now you're probably more in that range, especially if you can pick off Free State where, I don't know, maybe you can get them down to five and three if they lose another game. Um, but I don't know. I, I would love for something to set up where you have the city showdown and Free State and Lawrence High were to both get like the four and the five seed and then they're both in good situations, and they both, on top of it, would get to meet at that point in the second round for another city showdown. I, I, I we haven't had that. I don't think in the playoffs where the two have met, um, at least not in in recent memory. And I would love for that to happen at some point. That would. That, uh, it's kind of like we got Giants Dodgers in the playoffs right now, right? right? We had Yankees that, that, Red no, Sox. You I, know? I, I I think that'd be cool. That'd mm-hmm. be that'd be really cool. Yeah. But now, when does Free State? I don't know if you have it on uh, at, at your fingertips. D- they play Olathe West, don't don't they? No, they don't. Uh, Free State has so this week is uh, Olathe South, who's three and two. Which I don't know. Olathe South could be a pretty good team. Um, Shawnee Mission East is the next team. Who Shawnee Mission East typically has been one of the best teams in the state, but this year it's been a down year for Shawnee Mission right. East. They're just two and three, and then they have Lawrence High game. So they got lucky on the schedule this year that they avoided Olathe West. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly as it turns out, and, yeah, and you wouldn't think that late the West is it would no, would it's put funny because a big good team, yeah, they, they certainly had, are good this year. They had Gardner on the schedule, and they didn't have a late the West. And coming into the year, you would have thought, well, late the West, newer school, like that hurts Free State. And Gardner's been one of the top teams from the East the past couple of years. But then Gardner's had a down year, and late the West has had the good year, so it's kind of benefited Free State in in, in that way, and. That is always very interesting with the Sunflower League. There's just so many teams that you can't play everybody, and it just turns into uh, almost, you know, a who gets fortunate with the schedule. But 
I've been really impressed with Free State so far. I mean, turning around from what they did last year has been impressive. I've been impressed with Lawrence High, even with the last two losses. Uh, Considering how many players you lose from a season ago to even be this competitive, to be this close to being a four-win team at 3-2 and above 500, I I think still an impressive season from both schools so far. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And and, and you absolutely have to put it in that kind of perspective because we just had no idea what we were going to get. But we also have, you know, we got blessed by – four incoming players that mm-hmm. we we didn't expect to have and have been major contributors to this team. Yeah. Uh, although Truman is not 100% healthy, I, I sure hope he's I, – I, I did get word that he should play the rest of the season and it's okay for him to play. But, I mean, he's got a broken bone. I mean, he's yeah. playing with a broken bone in his foot, man. And so he's not 100%. And, if God, if he was – I'd really look out for us. I mean, I, I think we'd because that just adds a total next uh, another dimension to our game. Um, what and, a tough and, kid, though, playing oh, through that. God, and I, I hope you know. And I haven't talked to um, uh, I, I haven't talked to his dad since the since they had a, they went to the chief specialist yesterday. But I did hear that that it's good that he's okay to play the rest of the year, but it's just not hundred mm-hmm. percent. I hope that what they're, I hope they're not, I just hope he didn't get injured further. And I hope that there's no risk of that. That's what I, yeah. I, I is most concerning what? to me that if he he's playing on it, is it still really, is that not good? Right. Well, and he's good, really good basketball player too. So I'm, I'm sure Mike Lewis is hoping that there's nothing else. And, and I don't know if that'll impact his basketball season or anything, but uh, certainly with Lawrence High and Free State, always great at basketball, too. You're you're looking at that. So uh, Lawrence High, again, going to be tomorrow night. Kevin Romery, Matt Llewellyn on the call for LHS at home, taking on Shawnee Mission South at 7 o'clock. And uh, you can hear that one on KLWN, KLWN.com. And there's the 810 Varsity live stream with the video as well for the game I'll be calling the Free State of the Latha South. No video for that. It's at ODAC on 92.9 The Bowl and Bowl929.com. And also, we have our new high school pregame and postgame show. Adam Dravetta and Cole Cedabutar will be in the KLWN studio from 6 till you guys go on air around 6.45 or whatnot. And then they'll uh, cover you in the postgame as well. That's Matt Llewellyn. Matt, thank you so much for the time. And, uh, Absolutely. Have fun on the call time, tomorrow. man. All right. Matt Llewellyn. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. On FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Talking about Devin Neal was pretty cool to hear his progression. And, yeah, he just seems like he's getting better and better each and every game. And really exciting to see for the young freshman. Also, you heard a lot of questions in there, I think three or four questions, talking about the recruiting and, and to different degrees, Rob Ionello or to you know transfers and so forth. And, Obviously, that's going to be of vital importance. Every time we have guests on here and talk about, you know, the team next year, the scholarships for next year and stuff, it seems like it gets brought up that, you know, I think they're going to hit the transfer portal hard. You hear it from enough people and it makes you think, yeah, they're probably going to hit the transfer portal hard. And it makes sense. You're going to be trying to, you know, become a more relevant team, become a more competitive team. And it's interesting because part of me sits there and goes, well, you got to be careful here because we know what happened with Charlie Weiss when he delved in too much with JUCO transfers and how it hurt KU in the scholarship numbers. But I think the transfer portal is a little different than that for a couple reasons. One, with JUCO guys, 
you know, or with transfer portal guys, you can get players who still have three or four years left of play. And with transfer portal guys, you're not just getting guys from the JUCO level who might be at the JUCO level because they didn't qualify academically or something, and you don't know if they're going to be able to cut it at the Power 5 University. Uh, in the case of a transfer portal, it's not that. So it's different, and also with the transfer portal, I think it's easier to, hey, if we lose this guy, then we just get somebody else via the transfer portal than it is with JUCO recruiting. Um, so that's important to know. But Scott Oligo, you heard him mention him, comes in from Michigan State. They brought on a ton of transfer portal guys this season or into this season, and then he took the KU job. I think it was like 19 guys or something. Go look at what Michigan State has done this year. They're ranked 11th in the country, and I'm not saying that's going to be the case for Kansas. You know, far from it. But there are going to be success stories five to ten years from now. You know, the same way we look back 25, 30 years ago and say, yeah, it's tough for Nebraska to be what they were because now the walk-on limits and the you know, numbers of players you can have on the roster is just different than it was back then. We might look back in 10 years and be like, you know, it's just different now putting together a roster. You have to hit up the transfer portal. And, you know, we're, we're going to see certain schools, certain teams be success stories where they create these turnarounds and maybe Kansas can be one where it's fueled by the transfer portal. And that's going to be the biggest thing for the offseason. Obviously talking about now because you know, it's a bye week, it's less going on, KU's coming off their biggest loss of the year, but I, I thought that was really interesting. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it.